this is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used for preaching here at the First Free Methodist Church of Seattle, or for anyone anywhere looking to dive deeper into the Bible. Today's passage is Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. It's the basis of the sermon here at First Free Methodist Church on February the 5th, 2023. It's the fifth message in a series called Value the Difference, where we're focused in our worship and preaching on the distinctive values of the Christian life and how we express those in the world in a, a peculiar and unique way that invites uh, questions and curiosity from those around us. As we turn to this text in Exodus chapter 4, we find Moses near the end of his encounter with God at the burning bush that signaled his commissioning for this great work of leading the children of Israel to freedom out of their slavery in Egypt. Moses comes toward the end of this conclusion and then begins to ask God a series of questions to help shape how he's to accomplish this task that God has given him. He says in verse 1, What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say the Lord has not appeared to you. So Moses is essentially asking God at this moment to say, well, how, how, can we, how can we be sure that they believe me when I arrive? And the they uh, could either be the Egyptians believing him or the they could be the, the Israelites not believing him. And so God gives to him first a sign of power. And uh, this sign of power is related to the staff in Moses' hand. It says that God then gave Moses a set of signs. And the first question God asks is, what is that in your hand? And it's the staff, the staff he's used as a shepherd, as he's been uh, working for his father-in-law Jethro, tending sheep as they've been grazing along mountainsides. This simple staff, this large stick he's been using to shepherd sheep to assist him in his walking as he moves about rugged terrain. This same staff is what God is asking about. What is this in your hand? It's a staff. And no, take note that that this staff um, not only is used for the purposes Moses has used it for all along, it'll continue to be used for that, but then God says, put the staff on the ground, and when it does, it becomes a snake. Now, uh, it says in the text that Moses jumped away from the serpent because he was afraid of it. Uh, the, the snake is such an interesting image in the ancient Near East, not just within the uh, culture and religion of the Israelites, but in the neighboring cultures and religions. In many of those cultures, the snake or the serpent is considered an agent of wisdom or worship, even guidance. But in, in Hebrew mythology, a part of the Hebrew tradition, snake is regarded with some kind of fear and suspicion. And so the staff turns into a snake, so Moses fled from it naturally. And then, then God's instruction is rather interesting in that he says, grab it by the tail. This is unnatural. Uh, the snake would still easily be able to bite Moses had he grabbed it by the tail. And so it's an act of faith just reaching out to grab the snake by the tail rather than by the middle of its body or closer to its head so that one would not be bit by the snake. But once he grabbed it, it became a staff once more. It's important to note that, that this sign of power given to Moses by his staff turning into a snake and then back into a staff again uses something Moses already has with him. 
There's no other external um, uh, thing or object or substance that Moses needs to, to do this work with the staff. It's simply that which he already has with him. It opens up really the first key passageway for us in that God's power is revealed through what we already have, not what we wish for. You see, the staff was already in Moses' hand. So when God calls, when God invites Moses to go about this work of leading the Israelites to freedom, Moses already has everything he needs to do that. It's just a matter of whether or not that which he has can be made available for God to use it. So when God calls, the resources are already in hand. So we really have to remember in our own lives as we're trying to discern God's call, as we're trying to listen to how God might be leading us, that we have to remember that our confidence is really not in us as much as it is in God working in and through us. The conversation with Moses continues and God continues to bring signs to him. In verse six, the Lord furthermore said to him, now put your hand inside the fold of your robe. So he put his hand inside the fold and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then in verse seven, God said, put your hand in the fold of your robe again. So he put his hand in his fold again and when he took it out of the fold, behold, it his hand was restored like the rest of his flesh. This sign given to Moses also involves something he already has. But in this case, it's not an object, but rather it's a part of his own body. It's his hand. So putting his hand in the fold of his robe meant to actually place his hand against the skin of his chest. It'd be the equivalent of putting your hand down your shirt, if you will. And the miracle here is not necessarily making Moses' hand leprous. It was placing that hand back into the garment. You see, skin diseases that commonly were called leprous, even though they may not have been leprosy, were believed to be highly contagious and especially contagious by contact. So if you had contracted a skin disease on your hand, the one thing you would not want to do would be to touch any other part of your body or to touch anyone else with that hand because they've simply believed that's how the disease was communicated from one person to another. So Placing his hand that's now made leprous back into the fold of his garment, in other words, up against the skin of his chest, was reckless. It's very much like trying to grab the serpent or the snake by its tail. It's the same kind of invitation to engage in a behavior that, that uh, is counterintuitive, that makes no sense at all. So the removing of his hand from the fold of his garment the second time is also part of the miracle. It's part two of the miracle, that number one, the disease didn't spread elsewhere because he touched another part of his body with this uh, skin disease on his hand and that his hand itself was healed. These skin diseases in the ancient world had no form of healing. They were, they were regarded as being uncurable. And so uh, this endures even to Jesus's day in which we read stories about Jesus healing people where those who had this case of so-called leprosy were put into colonies or separated, quarantined from the rest of the population. That's probably uh, the same case in Moses' day, but he has this experience of his hand uh, being made leprous and not leprous and then testing that by putting it against his, his own skin on his chest and the disease doesn't migrate to it or move to it. 
See, this sign is not external. It's not an object. It's his own body. There's no magic here. There's no manipulation. There's nothing being used outside of Moses for the sign. It's, it's his own hand moving through this uh, experience. Now, what's interesting about this particular sign also is that it's the only sign given to Moses here at the burning bush that he'll never use later. We never read of an episode where Moses will, uh, you know, put his hand in the fold of his garment and it will become leprous as a testimony and a witness to the Israelites or to the Pharaoh. This is a sign that's never used again after we read it here in this particular text. This sign really helps us understand a second key passageway for us, and that's this, that God's healing power oftentimes reveals a body-spirit connection. You know, signs like this will be coming to Egypt where the body reveals a spiritual condition. In other words, that there is something happening in an external way in the body that's happening on the inside of the person. I had a therapist say to me years ago that the body never lies. And I have to agree that I found that to be a true statement in my own life. In this case, Moses's own body becomes a sign. It's one he'll never use with Israel or Pharaoh. But for Moses, this sign also represents, in some ways, his own reluctance to take up his call. So what's impossible for him, though, is more than possible for God. And as we read through the rest of the story, we're going to begin to see God's power more and more assertive in the conversation with Moses to somehow begin to confront or deal with the reluctance Moses is beginning to express about this call that God has put on his life. We turn now to uh, further in this passage of Scripture. It says in verse 9, But if they, the Egyptians and the Israelites, will not believe even these two signs, the staff being turned into serpent or his hand being made leprous, nor pay attention to what you say, then you shall take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground, and the water which you take from the Nile will turn into blood on the dry ground. This is a sign of supremacy uh, on Moses' part, at least on God's part, as being performed through Moses. The, the Egyptians re- revered the Nile as a god. It provided supremely for their very existence, even in the midst of a desert. And so their worship of the Nile was cultic, but it was also a means of preserving its ecosystem. In other words, by, by treating the Nile as a sacred thing, it preserved its function as part of their whole ecosystem. For the Egyptians, their lives depended on the Nile. Without the Nile, there, there would be no Egyptian civilization as they knew it then and even as we know it now. So that, for them, the Nile is the supreme expression of divine power along with the sun and the moon, both of whom had deities the Egyptians worshipped. Turning water from the Nile to blood foreshadows the first sign Moses will deliver when he returns to Egypt. If you read ahead in the story, Moses will go and take his staff and he'll touch the water of the Nile. And according to the scripture, the Nile turns to blood. Now, this is the only sign given to Moses in this conversation that is not performed in real time. It's a promise of what's to come. With the case of the snake, uh, the staff turns to a snake right in front of Moses' eye. In the case of his hand, his hand turns leprous and then back to being healthy skin 
right in front of Moses' eye. But in this case, the sign that God gives is one that has not occurred in that moment, but it's one that will occur in the future. The key passageway here for us is this, is that the works of God glorify and magnify God. You see, Moses' entire conversation thus far is consumed with how people will receive and know God really sent him. There's a way in which this entire conversation at the burning bush for Moses is about his own credibility, about his success, about whether people will actually believe what he has to say. So the focus is on Moses' reception and his capacity to perform these great signs. But what keeps coming up again and again in this conversation is that all of this reveals the greatness of God, not the greatness of Moses. God's calling through us is for an effort that will glorify and magnify God. This is such an important truth for us to hold on to and to remember that as we do the works that God has called us to do, as we seek to embody and to live the very life of Jesus in the world, we have to remember that our lives are supposed to glorify and magnify God, not ourselves. So Moses' success is not really at stake here, but Moses' success points to God's power and God's success for God's people. By the time we arrive at verse 10, we begin to see the heart of the matter that's been spinning around this entire conversation that Moses has been having at the burning bush. Verse 10, it says, Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. But the Lord said to him, Who has made the human mouth, or who makes anyone unable to speak or deaf or able to see or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go up. I myself will be with your mouth and instruct you in what you're to say. But he said, please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. It's such a fascinating end to this conversation uh, at the burning bush as it winds toward its conclusion. At the end, we come now face to face with what's driving Moses all along. Fear, lack of confidence, his own reluctance. When Moses says in uh, verse 10 that I am slow of speech and slow of tongue, the Hebrew there literally reads, I am of heavy lips and am heavy tongued. He's trying to say that he's, he's not as eloquent or as articulate as perhaps God might think him to be. And what's interesting is up to this point in the book of Exodus, there's been no mention of Moses's incapacity or the difficulties he might face speaking. It's only addressed here for the very first time. See, Moses's hesitation is not strictly about how the Egyptians will receive him, the Pharaoh, or how the Israelites will receive him. Moses's hesitation in some ways is about himself. And so God responds with a a set of rhetorical questions framed around God's own capacity to support Moses. God continues to respond to each and every statement Moses has made, and God points to God's own power in every one of those statements. God has said, who has made the human mouth? Well, it's a rhetorical question. Of course, God has. Who has made anyone unable to speak or deaf? 
the, the questions flow from a standpoint that that which God has asked Moses to do, God can do, but Moses has to step out in the belief and the, the confidence of knowing that God is going to do those things through him. Moses eventually concludes at the end of the passage we are looking at today in verse 13, please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. Uh, another way to translate uh, this statement in language that perhaps we are more familiar with in English is this is essentially Moses saying, I'm sure you know someone who could do this. <laughs> Moses is telling God in, in, a, in a not so subtle way, no, no, I don't want to do this. No, I don't want to go to Egypt. No, I don't want to lead the children of Israel to their freedom out of slavery in Egypt. Moses hears everything that God has said, God's response, God's engagement, God's movement in the entire conversation. And Moses says, well, Lord, I'm sure you know someone who could do this. In the fact that God is speaking to him, um, well, Moses is looking for someone else. He's saying no. Now, Throughout the body of scripture, when someone is called to this kind of work or to the prophetic role or the prophetic call in the Bible like this, there's only one other character who said no, and his name is Jonah. So as this passage continues, God will eventually pair Aaron with Moses so that Moses can accomplish this work. It's, it's somewhat of a concession to have Moses come along, Aaron come alongside Moses in this work. It opens a final key passageway for us here, that that God drives us toward authenticity where we allow him to cover our weakness. You know, Moses, Moses has a hard choice to make, and it is a choice. Will he let God, God cover all of him, even his weaknesses? Will Moses be this close, this intimate, this transparent with God? And then how will God respond to that? So at risk here is practically everything for Moses. Once Moses names this and agrees with God that this is the issue, the issue is Moses' lack of confidence, his own fear, his own reluctance. Once he gets to that point, then God begins to move. So we need to be in our own lives attuned to our own weakness for the same reason. You see, God seeks to be great in us as individuals and as a community. But how can that actually happen unless we're willing to put all of our own fears, all of our own lack of confidence, all of our own reluctance on the table? When we can take that step and believe that God can hear that and receive that from us, we've taken the next step we need to in doing the very thing that God has called us to do. If you have comments or reflections, I invite you to visit my website, revcraig.com. And in the upper right-hand corner, you'll see a button that says News. You can click on that, and a drop-down menu will appear and click on Podcasts. And then from there, you can click on this week's episode and leave a comment. I so look forward to hearing from you. I'd also encourage you to visit our church's website, ffmc.org, firstfreebethodistchurch.org, to learn more about free Methodism and how you can connect with our community. For now, I bid you all grace. Thanks for listening this week, and we'll see you again next time.